0: This is the MoneyWeb Be A Better Investor podcast, picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake
1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. It's a podcast where I speak to professional investors about the investment journeys and why they pursued a career in managing other people's money. We also peek into their personal investment portfolios and discuss their best and worst investments ever. The idea is to find those golden nuggets uh, of wisdom from their perspectives and experiences to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Shane Watkins. He's the CEO and the Chief Investment Officer of All Weather Capital he is a chartered accountant and he began his investment career back in 1995 at Liberty Asset Management as an investment analyst. He soon became a senior fund manager managing a unit trust third party pension funds and eventually the main life fund fund of the Liberty Group. Thereafter, he spent three years as a Director of Corporate Finance at UBS Warburg before moving to Peregrine Capital as a Director. After seven years at Peregrine, he started his own business, now called All Weather Capital. Shane, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, It's been quite a journey for you. Uh, First of all, tell us about All Weather Capital and why is it different from the other fund managers in the country?
0: Rekia, thank you and hello to the listeners. You know, All Weather Capital, we're now in our 10th year, and, you know, we feel very proud of what we've achieved. I always joke with people that say the time has gone quickly. I say, you know, when you're doing it, it, it feels like it's been longer. So, All Weather Capital, in the first instance, our business is uh, black controlled. I have a, a fantastic black partner, John Oliphant. So, you know, I think our business is empowered, and we also have tried to get sort of an empowerment and a gender balance in our business. So, About two-thirds of our staff are black and about half of them are are ladies. And um, on top of that, we run a black grad training program where we bring two young, uh, well-educated people into our business who otherwise might not have got a chance to enter the investment industry. And we train them up over a year. And after that year, they either stay with us or we try and find them a job in the industry. And by having this black grad program, we hope that You know, slowly but surely, we changed the face of asset management in South Africa. And we've had 18 black grads through our business since we started the company at the end of 2013. Um, Maybe I should also say, I mean, look, if everyone is dead honest about investing, you, yeah, because you want the returns. And um, our funds have done very well. We manage hedge funds. We've won five top hedge fund awards in the last seven years. And SA Equity Business has also done very well. I think on a 27-4 survey, quite unusually, we ranked number one over one, three, five and seven years. Of course, that can change and past performance doesn't mean you're going to do well in the future, but certainly our returns over the last 10 years have been good.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, one of the fact sheets you have, it's um for the retail hedge fund and last year you had a thirty eight percent return. Um,
0: and it so wasn't... yeah, that, that would have been that would be twenty twenty one. So I think in twenty twenty we did about thirty percent. In twenty twenty one we did thirty eight, if that's what you have. I think yes, it was that's twenty twenty one, yes. And then last year we did uh I think uh sixteen or eighteen percent. But of course, you know, last year markets were down sort of 5% in South Africa and 30% offshore. So, you know, to be up up 18 was pretty good.
1: Let's talk about your investment journey. Just tell us, where did you grow up? And when did you decide you want to become a fund manager and manage other people's money?
0: So, Rake, I grew up in Port Elizabeth, came to the Navy. I was in the Navy for two years and then I went to university. I did business science. Um, I then worked for Anglo-American for a year for Tony Treyer. He, well, he was the CEO of Mondi at that time. And then um, traveled for a year. Then went back to university, did a CA, and joined Liberty Asset Management. And, I'm, you know, I think if we're honest with about how success happens, it's partially hard work, partly skill, and partly luck. And I think the lucky part that I had was joining Liberty Asset Management in the early 90s. At that time, it was South Africa's premier investment house. It really had a lot of incredibly smart people. And when I joined, I joined roughly at the same time that Cloud Nates, Dave Fraser, Roger Williams, Errol Schur, Andrew Kingston, a whole group of, of guys that turned out to be fantastically talented investment professionals all were there at the same time. And, I mean, as you know, Clive Nates and Dave started Perrigan Capital, South Africa's most successful hedge fund. Roger Williams, I think, has got his own business, Centaur. And I mean, they've won the Raging Bull Award, the 10 year Raging Bull Award. I mean, Errol Sher and Andrew Kingston, you know, in the industry. So I was lucky to grow up with a crop of extremely talented people and also have a very good mentor in Clive Nates at that time. So that five years at Liberty Asset Management was, it kind of set my career. Up with good foundations.
1: And before that, do you have any interest in investments, or can I ask, uh, how old were you when you bought your very first uh, equity investment?
0: I bought my very first equity investment when I was at university, and um, I think I probably um, lost a fair portion of my student loan trading the market. And I guess that's how you you learn to invest. You know, so I was trading the market um, when I was at varsity in. 85, 86, and of course, then there was the crash of 87, and a lot of sort of small and mid caps uh, lost, you know, a third or half of their value. So, you know, in the same way that we learn to walk by falling, I think you learn to trade by learning what not to do first. And so I've always been interested in investing. I think that, you know, I, th- I would describe myself as an independent thinker and and maybe slightly contrarian. And both of those are helpful things in investing because, you know, as Warren Buffett famously said, you know, only dead fish float with the current. And so you have to have slightly different ideas to other people and you have to develop your own methodology and style of investing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it was it was really lucky to start at Liberty Asset Management. And then I was lucky to carry on with Clive Nates and Dave mm-hmm. Fraser at Peregrine Capital. And... You know, together we built a, a very successful hedge fund business that even though they're competitors, how I would describe them now as South Africa's preeminent uh, hedge fund manager.
1: Yeah, I spoke to and Roddy uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, yeah, it's also, it's a very inspirational story because uh, in many ways they were pioneers in the hedge fund industry in South Africa. Uh, can you remember what your very first company was which you bought?
0: I remember buying Sassol and... Um, you know, when I was at university on a, a, a very flimsy basis and certainly losing a fair bit of money in that trade. Um, so, yeah, I can remember that. And I can also remember during the initial stages of um, my career at Liberty Asset Management, shorting some of the the, the the small cap shares. I can't remember the name of the particular company. I know Dave and I both shorted it and, you know, the share doubled and doubled again before <laughs> going bankrupt. So, um that was that was a very painful experience. But again, I think you learn what not to do first. It's like um, it's like children learning not to touch a hot stove. You know, you only have to do it once, and you won't do it again. And uh, so, I think over time, th- through mistakes, that you become a good investor.
1: So, how do you approach that methodology? You know, to to dodge bullets, uh, it's not very easy. Um, So, of course, you need to learn, but you want to limit the losses uh, as much as possible. So how do you think a retail investor should uh, approach this, especially early on in their careers, uh, not to damage their financial position too badly uh, to scare them off?
0: So I guess, you know, the, the, the question firstly is when to invest in terms of timing your investment into the market, because, you know, in a bull market, pretty much everything goes up and in a bear market, pretty much everything goes down. So it's, the first question is timing, and the second question is, you know, what to invest in once you've determined that this is the time. You know, we've had a series of, in my career, we've had a series of crises that have happened. We had a, the Russian crisis in ninety eight, the Asian emerging market crisis of ninety nine. We then had the dot-com bubble of 2000-2001. Uh, we then had the global financial crisis of 2008-2009. We then had the Nenegate sell-off in 2016. And then in 2020, we had the COVID sell-off. And in all of these instances, the markets have had significant declines and you've had great opportunities to buy fantastic companies at very cheap valuations. I mean, it's hard to, I mean, take the COVID sell-off. It's hard to believe that Absa Bank, which now trades at 200 rand, got down to 55 rand. In March 2020 okay that's not even three years ago Absa was trading at 55 rand, and now it's 200 and you've got a whole lot of dividends out of it so and Absa let's be dead honest is not a hugely exciting company I mean it's an X growth company in an X growth industry and you still make 300% plus so if you can if you can have capital available when there's a crisis that is often a good time to go into the market and When you do that, you've just got to be sure that you buy a share that is not going to go bankrupt. So you must buy, in a crisis, you buy high quality companies that have become cheap. So I would say that's the first piece of advice I give you. If you're happy to be patient, every three to five years, there'll be some kind of crisis and that will give you a good chance to buy quality businesses cheaply. But that is almost
1: contrarian to the investment theory of time in market is better than timing the market
0: the thing is, you can't predict when there will be a crisis. We just know that, you know, every three to five years, something in the world goes wrong, and asset prices have a massive decline. And you just have to sit on the sidelines, if that's your strategy, and wait for those opportunities. But of course, I mean, you know, you don't want to to delay being in the market. So then becomes, well, okay, in normal times, what do you buy? And so that is that now, you know, the what to buy. And I would say, You know, have an idea when you look at a company, have an idea of what is your principal investment thesis around buying the company? Are you buying it because of earnings growth? Are you buying it because there's some specific catalyst that you've identified, like you think the results are going to be better than expected? You think that there's going to be a special dividend? You think that, or maybe you even think it's a corporate activity play. Maybe you think it'll get taken out. You know, I remember in the the COVID crisis of 2020, We bought Massmart, and I think we bought the shares all the way down to 17 rand. And we bought a big holding in Massmart at that time. And our principal investment thesis was that Walmart would take them out. And it took two years, but Walmart did take them out at 60 rand. So again, you know, we made uh, three times our money on that investment. But I think the first thing is identify what the reason is that you're buying the company. And what I would add to that is, If that thesis turns out not to be true, like let's say you buy a company because you're expecting the results to be better than expectations and the results don't meet expectations. My suggestion is that you immediately exit that position. Often people hang on to their buy share for one reason and it kind of morphs into owning it for another reason. And that's a good way to lose money. If your original thesis doesn't play out, just exit and go find something else to buy. You know, again, as Warren Buffett says about the stock market, the great thing is you don't have to swing at every pitch. So you can be patient and wait for the opportunity that you think is right.
1: The JSE and and many other world markets are actually quite strong at the moment, although there has been some pullback uh, and a recovery. So it's pretty volatile at the moment. But the JSE trades near all-time highs. Uh, Do you think it's opportune to stay away from the market, you know, uh, interpreting your uh, hypothesis?
0: So, look, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, the markets have had a big rally and, you know, global markets are up. 10 to 15% this year. The reason that markets have had a big move is what has happened is that the expectation of interest rate hikes have moderated. So if you imagine a share as being an equation, the the numerator of the equation being earnings and the denominator of the equation being the discount rate that you apply to future earnings. What has happened this year is that people's perception of where the discount rate is going to go. The, the the rate at which they're discounting those future earnings has come down to some degree. So we've had a period of extremely high inflation last year. We started to anniversarize that high base of inflation and a lot of those commodities um, and energy costs that went up a lot last year have now come down. That means that inflation's moderating, which means that interest rate hikes are going to moderate, which means that the discount rate that you're applying to those future earnings is going to moderate. And so you'll be aware that Bank of England and the ECB both hiked by 50 basis points, and the Fed hiked by 25. But the expectation is that largely rate hikes are over. You know, if the Fed hiked four times 75 basis points last year, now they hiked 25, the expectation is maybe they'll hike another 25 in March, and that will be that. In fact, the Fed fund futures rates are pricing in a 50 basis point cut by year end. So, you know, markets look forward 12 months and they're saying, look, in 12 months' time, interest rates won't be going up, they might be coming down. And then the discount rate that you apply to all those future earnings comes down and so those future earnings are worth more in a present value sense. So I think that's why markets have run. But you asked me specifically about the JSE and what I would say about the JSE is this. We've had almost 10 years where money has been going predominantly into the United States, I'm talking about the global savings pool, roughly about $20 trillion have gone from the rest of the world into the U.S. market. So the U.S. market has done better than all other markets over the last decade. And in actual fact, the U.S. market cap as a percent of total market cap. In other words, what the U.S. stock markets are worth versus what all stock markets are worth has got up to a ratio of 65%. In other words, the total value of U.S. shares is 65% of the total value of all shares in the world. But the U.S. economy is only 25% of global GDP. So the U.S. stock markets are, in a sense, over-indexing versus the value of the U.S. economy in aggregate. So we think the U.S. market have really done too much. And it looks like now there's a flow out of the United States, and the dollar index you know the, the value of the dollar versus all other currencies there's a code for it on bloomberg called dxy and a lot of people talk about dxy it means how strong or weak the dollar is the dollar is now weakening and that's weakening because money is flowing out of the united states into other investment destinations that have done less well such as europe and emerging markets south africa is part of the emerging market universe uh, our weighting is about three percent so One dollar in every 30 that goes into emerging markets comes to South Africa. So in an environment with a weakening dollar, some money will come to South Africa, and that's supportive of emerging markets. The other thing that is supportive of the JSE is we think the outlook for commodities is much better. China consumes between a quarter and a half um, of all base metals, and to the extent that China reopens post the zero COVID policy, we think that China will do much better and that will mean commodities do, does much better. And South Africa being a commodity country, we will do much better. So, you know, I think uh, our thesis is predicated on a reopening of China. Incidentally, I mean, it's amazing, but the, the Chinese consumer has accumulated five hundred and five billion dollars of excess savings in the two-year zero COVID lockdown in china so as this money gets deployed and as the chinese government also tries to stimulate the economy we think that chinese consumer shares will do well and we think that shares related to china mobility like airlines will do well and we think that uh, commodities will do well but i think what i'm getting at is you know, in an environment where there flows into emerging markets and commodities do well, the rand will do well, and so will the domestic market. So, I think although our market has had a quite a strong run, uh, and there could easily be a pullback, I think the long-term outlook is still quite good for the JSE. We we just we just do well when there flows into emerging markets and commodity prices are high.
1: So, if you're a retail investor, or if you want to invest in in stocks in South Africa now. Do you think it's a good time to enter this market now?
0: We would obviously prefer to buy um, on a dip, but I would say that yeah, the outlook for the JSE, I think, is okay. I think that a lot of the risks are priced in, and provided we continue to have these passive emerging market inflows, some of which will come to South Africa, I think the JSE looks good. We have, we have some specific areas that are preference for us, Maybe I should say of the commodity stocks we like Sassol the most, about 8% of oil goes into jet fuel and uh, international air travel hasn't really opened up properly post-COVID and we think there's going to be a big increase in demand for jet fuel and that will lead to higher oil prices. The US also, when oil prices rallied above $100, sold down in their strategic reserves so they're in the market buying oil. And we think Sasol, you know, it's on roughly a 5 PE, looks like a, a good opportunity. Uh, and then we like some of our uh, South Africa-specific opening-up trades, what we call the hospitality shares. Yeah. So, you know, shares like Famous Brands or Spur, particularly, uh, also the hospital groups. And then, you know, if you believe that they're going to be, it's going to be a good year for equity markets, then obviously the asset managers such as 91, the old Investec asset management, should do well.
1: Yeah, Coronation also recently reported quite decent numbers. You're a chartered accountant. Uh, Obviously, you can look at the uh, financial statements of companies to analyze the investment potential. uh, But not all retail investors are CAs. Uh, How do you think uh, a a normal and, you know, I don't know how to uh, just... uh, what the definition of a normal investor but not a CA, some retail investor, somebody who just wants to, to learn, how should they go about to analyze investment opportunities?
0: Rake, I would say the most important thing is, as in a horse race, the most important thing is the jockey. You know, when you're investing in a company, actually the most important thing is the management. I would say that in general, you're better off investing in a mediocre business with superb management than you are investing... In a brilliant business with bad management. So, if I can give you an example, I mean, take take Truus. I think Truus is a fairly good business, but it's got an extremely competent management team. I mean, Michael Mark is one of the best CEOs in South Africa, right? So you're just backing him. Um, if you take in the food sector, Avi, run by a guy called Simon Crutchley, uh, he's extremely smart, very competent, and very systematic in the way he runs the company, and you're essentially backing him as that jockey. I mean, you mentioned the wealth managers earlier, Coro and um, Investec, were now 91. You know, I bumped into Hendrik de at the airport the other day, and he's the CEO of 91, and he is as energized and determined to build a global business as he was 20 years ago when he started Investec Asset Management. So, you know, be sure that you back a competent management team. I have to say that I think South Africa is blessed with less skilled and competent and entrepreneurial management than we had when I joined the industry 25 years ago, but there are still companies that have great management. And if you can identify a management team that you think is competent and trustworthy and that have a vision that they, you think that they can execute, then the first step is backing management. Bad management will find a way of disappointing you, trust me. I've found that out over a long period of time, often with, with quite expensively. So yeah. the first thing you've got to do as a retail investor is, is find management that you trust. Maybe the second thing is, you know, a lot of companies that are listed, you will be able to engage with as a consumer or just simply in your daily life. Maybe you will you'll be serviced by a logistics business or you'll buy food from a retailer or you'll go shopping and buy clothing. And then you'll often have an opportunity to see what their offering is. But I would say that the principal thing you have to do is satisfy yourself that you trust management and that you back the business model of the company.
1: Then just lastly, and this is the question where I always uh, get a bit of a giggle, Uh, What has been your best investment ever and what would you regard as the worst one you've ever made? What was the biggest dog you've ever bought?
0: Mm, Well, so in our business, we have a philosophy that our staff have to be invested in the funds. So they can trade on their own account, but the majority of the, you, you know, everyone has to be invested in the funds that we manage. So we think that aligns the interests of our investors Uh, With what the staff are doing. So obviously, I'm invested in our own funds. Um, And I guess, you know, the best investment probably was, you know, the last three years in our market neutral hedge fund where, you know, we did 40% and then 30% and then nearly 20%. That was a great investment. I would say the worst investment I made was I bought a speculative position in Bitcoin, which I never sold out of. And so I watched it go from sort of $25,000 to $70,000 and back to $20,000. So, um, and maybe the lesson there is don't invest in stuff that you don't understand or don't know something specific about.
1: Yeah, I think many people, uh, especially when it reached 70000 became greedy and thought it's going to run even further. But we'll have to leave it there. Shane, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights. Thanks,
0: Rake. Appreciate your time.
1: That was Shane Watkins. He's the CEO and the Chief Investment Officer at All Weather Capital. Show me the money.
0: That was the MoneyWeb, be a better investor podcast with Rake for Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the MoneyWeb podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.